On this week's episode, we are looking at the 1963 season. The poor Lions struggle for a win, but when they finally get one, oh, it's glorious. The Magpies are locked into a bitter presidential feud. The Saints have some big-name debutants. Polly Farmer is in blistering form for the Cats, and the Hawks are back in form. All this and more coming up after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, uh, the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no real qualifications to bring you this podcast other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive some of the glory days, and we have lots of books. Uh, my name is Tim. I've got Coops over there. Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. And the Kazman, you're back. Hi, everybody. Um, now, we are not in our normal location. It might be a bit echoey, perhaps. We are... In the farm, in the country. We are. Country Victoria, we are coming to you from in a an old potato farm. It's a real in farm. An old potato picker shed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. You might hear a cow. Yeah. So don't be alarmed. Yeah. It goes for Hawthorne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, we're here to talk about the 1963 season. Um, now, we'll get to some music in a minute. Uh, now, yes, Charlie, the Beatles started releasing hits in 63. They certainly did. But um, the song I've chosen for 63 isn't Beatles because it was didn't make the charts in Australia until the very last weeks of the year. Ah, okay. Um, so the hit song for, for this one is 55 Days in Peking by Rob E.G., which was number one in Australia for four weeks. Sounds great and doesn't sound controversial at all, <laughs> which, is, which is good. Yeah. Now, Char, um, Kaz, we worked out when we were doing the news last time that it's, we're kind of mirror, mirroring uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of going through it. So, so six, main... 63. Yeah, we'll see. Here we go. Pope Paul, Malcolm X, British politician sex, JFK blown away, what else do I have to say? That's basically uh, it. Yeah. I've kind of stuck away from a couple of those, actually. Okay. So, <laughs> that's so good. So... Uh, as you've just mentioned, we'll start on February 11th, where the Beatles recorded their first debut album, their, their first debut album, their debut <laughs> album, Please Please Me, in one day at Abbey Road. Yeah. Uh, on the 8th of April, we had the 35th Academy Awards. Uh, do you want to guess what won Best Picture in 63? Mary Poppins? No. Very close, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, it was Lawrence of Arabia. Yes, classic. But Lawrence of Arabia and British Beatle Mania... They're not in that. They're early. They're in a different, different verse of that. Oh well, well, there you go. Um, maybe it's just because it rhymed maybe, better. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the twelfth of April, we had uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abernathy, and Fred Shuttlesworth, and others were arrested in Birmingham for uh, protesting well, what it was called parading without a permit. Uh, on the twenty seventh of May, we had. Bob Dylan record, uh, release his second studio album, The Free Wheel and Bob Dylan, which opened with the song Blowing in the Wind. Oh, classic. Yes. Um, on the 19th of July, Joe Walker, who was a test pilot flying the X-15, uh, reached an altitude of 
miles or 105.9 kilometers, making it uh, a suborbital space flight recognized by international standards. So that, these are these, those test flights, like your Chuck Yeagers and those guys, oh. the originals. On the 8th of August, we had the Great Train Robbery in Buckinghamshire. <laughs> um, on the 24th of August, we had the first games played in the Bundesliga. Ever? Ever, yeah. What a young it re <laughs> replaced the Oberliga. Uh, yeah, so there you go. On the 28th of August, Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Um, and... Uh, it was the largest process test in American history at that stage. Okay. On the 8th of October, Sam Cooke and his band were arrested after trying to register at a whites-only motel in Louisiana. And in the following months, he recorded A Change Is Gonna Come. Mm -hmm. So it's lots of uh, civil rights stuff going on this yes. year as well. We had the second James Bond film released on the 10th of October. From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love, that's the one. It's one of my favourites, actually. Is it? Yeah. On the 30th of October, we had Lamborghini founded in Italy. On the 22nd of November, JFK was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. By who? Ah, yes. Well. Lee Harvey Oswald, too convenient. Too convenient. <laughs> uh, on the 23rd of November, the very first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast in the UK. And on the twen uh, the thirtieth of November, we had the Australian federal election where Robert Menzies uh, was re-elected with an increased majority and an unprecedented eighth term in office. Um, that would never happen today. No. Uh, and on the twenty sixth of December, we had that? the Beatles. Um, I want to hold your hand, and I saw her standing there. Are released in the United States, marking the beginning of Beatlemania on an international level. Uh, for a bit of Australian sports stuff, we also had the Australian Grand Prix held at Warwick Farm, and was it was won by Jack Brabham. Where's Warwick Farm? Uh, it's Adelaide, right? Is that oh, okay. around? Oh, I'm not 100 okay. sure. South it. Australia, I think. Okay. Uh, Gadam Gadam won the Melbourne Cup, and um, the Australian Open golf was won by Gary Player. Ah, good mm. name for a golf. It is, player. isn't it? A golf man. <laughs> Now, Would I'm assuming like most years, people were born. People, some people were born this year. Again, it's just sticking to the Aussies with, yeah, the, okay, with yeah. the births. There's too many people born these days. Yeah. I've noticed. Really so just keep going up and up. Unless it's like Gandhi or something like that. Yeah. No, we, yeah. yeah. So the 2nd of March, we've got Al, the big elbow, Anthony Albanese. Uh, on the 17th of March, John Platten. Oh, yeah, the rat. Yeah. <laughs> on the 29th of March, the body, El McPherson. Is born. Excellent. The rat and the body. On the 8th of May, Anthony Field of the Wiggles. Wiggles yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just had to leave it out there yeah, to yeah. see. Uh, on the 27th of June, Paul Ruse. On the 8th of September, Danny Frawley. So a few big footy names this year. On the 30th of September as well, we had two, uh, two great, great men. Stan Grant, the Indigenous journalist, and Greg Williams. Diesel. Right. Yeah. Nice. There we go. Cause it's football season And that's the reason It's the time of the year that we love Alright, here we go So League News for 1963 what, um, what happened? So, a few things So, on Saturday the 15th of June South Australia beat Victoria at the MCG mm -mm. Yeah, 12880 to 101373 Didn't happen, no <laughs> uh, In front of 59,000 people in a brutal match uh, 
Actually, the return match was brutal in Adelaide. Uh, Victoria beat South Australia by 12 points, which was notorious for a powerful king hit delivered by Victorian John Peck, whose Hawthorne player being included in the team for the return match to provide more grunt and physical menace. Uh, he broke the jaw of an unsuspecting Brian Sawley. Oh. He went some distance in the air before collapsing unconscious in the mud and had to be carried from the field on a stretcher. Jeez. He definitely brought that brute. Peck was reported uh, and at the VFL tribunal Peck testified that the king hit was retaliation for Sawley having kicked him in the stomach uh, Peck was suspended for only two weeks that's all you get for breaking someone's jaw yeah. Yeah. Um, other news owing to extreme cold and wet weather round 11 was postponed yes. by a week 24 points of rain fell in about 50 minutes in Melbourne can you imagine them trying to do that these days oh, <laughs> they wouldn't because they just close the roof at yeah, yeah exactly uh, wind gusts were 40 miles an hour. Light snow was even reported at Mount Waverley. As of 2021, this is the last time that a complete round of football has been postponed due to weather. Okay, because we've seen it a few times in pre in the not so yeah. distant past. Yep. Yeah. From the it's like I feel like it's happened like four or five times in the last yeah. 20 years or so. Yeah. Yep. And since now, no, it just seems impossible. Yeah. Mm. It could happen now. Um, now some other news I I learnt was um. Brownlow vote during state games, you know, they kept playing in Melbourne. Yeah. But they would suspend Brownlow voting. Because all the in good players games. were missing. Yeah. So they wouldn't they wouldn't award Brownlow medal votes in those games. Or in the games that were in the same week as the state, state games, games yeah. were Ah. Oh. Which is weird. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Um too bad for those players who are playing. Yeah. Exactly. Um and it's their then, opportunity to get some votes. Yeah. We've got some news of the new stadium being built out at Waverley. Names they were throwing around included VFL Stadium, VFL Sports Coliseum, and Luke Park. Named after Kenneth Luke. Who Kenneth Luke, the, yeah. Um, obviously, VFL Park being the winner. I like Coliseum. The VFL Sports Coliseum? Yes. Yeah. I wish they'd called it that. And Kaz, we've got a... Uh, they should have called a Marvel Stadium and got ahead of the game. Hey. <laughs> we've got an aptly named umpire debutante. Don Blue. Yeah. Ah. Blue. Blue. Who will, uh, Not yeah. spelled. He'll, uh, he'll come up in an interesting way. This Soon. year, okay. It makes me see red. Yes, all right, guys. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll work our way up the ladder from bottom to top. So in 12th place, Fitzroy. You heard right, with one win, 17 losses, and their percentage was a lowly 57.5. Oh, Charlie, that's not good. The men's team. What sort of men are these? <laughs> haven't uh, been the men's team for a while. No, they haven't. But let's keep calling them that. I like okay. it. Um, so we want to bring things back here. Uh, captain coach was Kevin Bulldog Murray this year, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't tell you uh, who the leading goal kicker or best and fairest was yet. Good. We will get because we'll wait till after the season. And you've got and to guess. guess. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's a fun game. Um, some debutantes. We've got some good names here. We've got Gary Lazarus, ah. Alan Anderson, Ron Fly, Stan Hag, Jeff Doubleday, and Graham Ganinian. Don't We've know. had a George, yeah. George Ganinian, right? Yeah. I don't know if they're related, possibly. Mm. That's a good one. Um, so as you said, maybe 20- he's the maybe he's the bastard child that we from the oh, yeah, affair maybe. that we yeah yeah. yeah. Oh. Interesting. Um, so as you apologies said- <laughs> if, if that's your family. Once a bastard child, always a bastard <laughs> just child. Absolutely making things up. Um, so as you said, Kevin Murray, twenty-five year old, was appointed re- was appointed coach. Yes. Obviously replacing Len Smith from the year before. The committee saying officials, players, and supporters alike get behind the great player and give him every support and encouragement necessary to facilitate the difficult assignment and above all please have the patience so necessary for one to achieve one's objective good luck Kevin 
There okay. was a pre-season announcement That's regarding... Right. It's a lot of pressure to put on a 25-year-old, isn't it? <laughs> isn't like, it? if you think about it these days, it wouldn't. It just couldn't happen. No. You're not even really giving a 25-year-old a captaincy job no, these days. No, unless you're Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um, so, a nice touch in round one was former coach Len Smith popped into the rooms pre-game to wish uh, Kevin Murray good luck before his game against Carlton, which they would ultimately lose. Um <laughs> Kaz, if you can see my notes here, you can see how many losses Fitzroy had in a row. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine in a row to start the season. The one win is uh, 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 bookended. So we'll get to their one win. (laughs) There is a whole book dedicated to this. It's called Miracle Match. Oh, wow. (laughs) The only win of the season, which was against the ladder-leading Cats. Oh, yes. They were also missing Kevin Murray. He was away on state duties when they took on Geelong. So stand-in coach Wally Clark... So Wally Clark was standing. He had recently retired. Um, so one of the things he did was he opened up the rooms for fans to generate an exciting atmosphere at uh, Brunswick Street Oval. Um, and they were coming up against Polly Farmer. He was, mm-hmm. he was a big, uh, big name. The other thing that should be noted as well is uh, Bobby Davis was missing for Geelong. He was coaching the state team, so he was away with Kevin Murray. Okay. Yep. Um, but Fitzroy Ruckman, Brian Clemens and Ron Fly had a plan to double-team Polly Farmer. Uh, using tactics from the Waffle Grand Final a few years previous. And I think they might have tapped into Hayden Bunton Jr., who was at this stage work in Perth, and he provided them with tactics on how to get inside Polly. So oh, he kind of okay. got inside and, and, and attacked his left side. Oh, so he couldn't use leverage because he liked to use leverage. To get up over the yeah, top, yeah. yeah. And so they kind of took that away. Um, so the Cats, six behinds on the Muddy Brunswick Street Oval, was a poor start while the Lions kicked three goals four in the first quarter. Then the Lions defenders continued to throw themselves at the ball in the second quarter. And it was a slog of a quarter with the Lions adding three behinds to the Cats' one goal. But the Lions took control, five goals to one in the third, all but won the game for the Lions. And although the Cats gave it their all in the last quarter, the Lions were just too strong. The siren went and everyone went nuts. Uh, Clemens, the Fitzroy Ruckman, went to shake Polly Farmer's hand, but Polly Farmer refused to shake hands. Really? Because um, he used to shoulder the blame of losses and take it really personally whenever they lost. Um, everyone went nuts and celebrated and they called Kevin Murray in, uh, in South Australia to tell him um, and he couldn't believe it and started ribbing it to Bobby Davis. Love it. So yeah, huge win. So bottom place beating top place. Number six on Peter Carter's best wins from Fitzroy of all time. Number six? Number six, yeah. Jeez. But it's definitely up there. I mean, so much so it warrants <laughs> It's got its own book. book. Yeah. yeah. Which is 57 pages long, <laughs> uh, written by Ken Pease. Love um, it. Yeah. Thank you. So Fitzroy, I'm not going to. There's not much else to say about Fitzroy. Their average losing margin was 45 points. Um, the committee's final report at the end of the season said our players of this season, especially the youngsters who possibly through immaturity and inexperience cost the team many games, should now realise that they have gone through the teething stages of league football and to succeed and hold their position in the team, or in fact on the senior list, they must prepare to make every sacrifice. Yeah. So good call. There's always you know, the. Lions committee always like to make a little comment at the end of the season, mm. summing things up, don't they? Now tell me, who do you think was the best and fairest? I don't think, uh, Bulldog? Yeah, yeah, of course it was. Yeah. Who do you think kicked the most goals for Fitzroy this year? Oh, Gary Lazarus? Yes, it was. Oh, the debut. Gary Lazarus with 35. <laughs> what a guess. Yeah. Oh, it's just his name sitting up there on my screen. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> Just like Lazarus rising. Yeah, from- yeah exactly. <laughs> Someone had to say it. Yeah. Mm. Fitzroy right. will need a lot of rising from the dead. 
Which brings us to the next team. So South Melbourne with four wins, 14 losses. Uh, percentage 69.8. That's quite a difference. So South Melbourne this year, uh, captained by Bobby Skilton, coached by Noel McMahon again. Okay. So some debutants. We've got Des Bethke, Ron Cotton, and a big name by a big player by the name John Rantel. Kazman, can you tell us a bit about John Rantel? So, guys, John Rantel, a superb half-back flanker. Rantel had tremendous judgment and fine skills, which meant he could play on opponents of varying shapes and sizes. That makes sense, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> as an 11-year-old, going way back here, he played against adults in the Scotts Creek team. Oh, that's how you, a legend is born yeah, down there. Um, the Swans recruited him from Cobden, and he represented Victoria in his debut season. Uh, which must have surprised his coach, Noel McMahon, who uh, had at first expressed his amazement at Randall's skinny legs. <laughs> he weighed under 70 kilos. And his first senior trial at South, he played in the reserves game. Uh, and when he was dragged, he thought his chances were gone. Um, he was then told that uh, he was wanted uh, in the senior game. So that's why he was dragged. Nice. Uh, then um, 10 weeks into the season, he was picked up in the state side, um, and even though he admitted that uh, when his permits ran out, uh, he was hoping Cobden would knock back his clearance uh, as, he, as he didn't like the city life. Oh. Ah. Um, and Rantel grew uh, in stature in every season and uh, was South's acting captain in 1969 when Bob Skilton tore his Achilles, Achilles tendons that's that's not good for him. Uh, no. And in a pre, in a preseason practice match. So there you go. A little bit about John Rantel. Tim. Lovely. Rantel. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was captain coach? Oh, it was Noel McMahon and Bobby Skilton. And Bobby Skilton, yeah. of course. All right. So early in 1963, the wooden grandstand that had stood for 60 years was burned down, but mourned by few. The Swans tried also in news. The Swans tried to get Max Papley from VFA club Moorabbin. Uh, he played in the Pracky game, but the court of law prevented him from playing in 63. Mm. And yes, he is related to Tom Papley. I was going to ask, okay. Grandfather. There you go. Yeah. He plays for South, not, not yet, he doesn't. Tom Papley plays for South. Yes, he does. Um, they started the season disastrously, though, with a 59-point defeat to Geelong. In round three, they went down to Carlton in Brian McGowan's 100th game. It wasn't actually until round five the Swans broke through for their first win, which was a 38-point win over North Melbourne at Lakeside Oval. It was also a good turnaround as they were four goals down by quarter time, but eight goals in the second quarter got the Swans back in charge. Bobby Skilton kicking for seven to lead the way. <laughs> that is uh, outrageous. Johnson and Elkin Riley dominating in the ruck. They won again two weeks later when they upset an inaccurate Demons team at home by four points. Alan Self with four goals and Bobby Kingston with three. Round nine, they beat the Lions, holding them to two goals for the first three quarters before they added three in the last. Kingston added another three. He might be a good good favourite to be leading goal kicker maybe okay. uh, the only other win for the year was in round 13 which was their biggest win a 66 point thrashing of Richmond like their round 5 win they trailed at quarter time by 25 before a 5 goal second quarter had them slightly ahead at half time second half was a romp with 13 goals to 2 Terry McGowan with 4 uh, but this masked the fact that they only won one of their final 9 games so where's Gilton playing now he's a midfielder still midfielder yeah and kicking so many goals it's outrageous does he kick enough to be the leading goal kicker? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh. No, that's a left field one. 
No, he, he did. Oh, he did it. He did it. He, he kicked can do 30, everything. He kicked 36 in 63. And, and Best and Ferris? And Best and Ferris, of oh. course. How could he not be? Yeah, Unbelievable. 10th place, Richmond. <laughs> I mean, five wins for Richmond. Uh, 13 losses and a percentage of 75.8, Charlie. Yes. So, Richmond this year, coached by Des Rowe and captained by Neville Crowe. Taking over from Ron Branton. Yes. All right. Mm. So, some debutantes. We've got uh, Billy Brown. Bob Brownhill, Peter Hogan from a BFA club, and John Northey, who, I mean, there's Melbourne supporters. You yes. Excited to learn that. Um, Kaz, can you tell us a little bit about John Northey? Yeah, Northey was quintessential will-o'-the-wisp uh, will half-forward flanker. Um, originally from, ooh, how do you say that? Durinalum. Darunellum in the Western Districts. Sorry, all the Darunellums out there. Uh, <laughs> he was a slippery customer who could slash a side to ribbons if let clear. Oh, that's so good. But you don't want to go tagging those good players. Um, Northy played um, in the 1967 and 1969 Premiership sides. Um, he coached in Sydney's competition. Uh, in Sydney's competition immediately after leaving Richmond then coached in Ballarat he coached St Kilda Reserves in 1978 and even came back to play in a bid to help out before returning to Ballarat he was given the senior coaching berth for the Sydney Swans for the season 1985 um Quite a lot of coaching there. Uh, he coached. The, wait, I'll skip down. <laughs> he coached the Demons to the end of 1992. Became coach of Richmond in 1993 and led the Tigers to the 1995 finals. Uh, but then caused a shock by switching to Brisbane for the 1996 season. Oh, yeah. So such a. Uh, uh, in his first season as coach, he got the club to third place, uh, but was sacked in 1998. Do you guys know John Norley's nickname as well? No. Swoop, swooper. Swoop and all the yeah, I think because he's so light-footed, he would just ah. swoop on the ground. Swoop. Um, so the Tigers' first win was round two against South Melbourne. Although they trailed half time, eleven goals to five, got them a solid win by twenty-three points. In round five, they played like a premiership side in their win over Carlton. Hogan and Hayden kicked four goals each. Bill Barrett dominated from the centre, and Fred Swift started in defence. Uh, but the Blues had the experience and held on to win by close two points. Round seven would be their second win, this time against Fitzroy. They had six multiple goal kickers and won by 29 points. So that's six players who kicked more than one goal. Yeah. Yeah. Round 12 was a heart stopper at Victoria Park against the Magpies. The Tigers attacked this game in a ruthless manner. The Pies having no answer for Ian Hayden's marking ability for the Tigers. And the Tigers held on desperately to win by one point at Victoria Park as well. Uh, round 16, in another match with Carlton, the young Tigers jumped out of the blocks early and held a lead against Carlton at every change. However, the Blues ran down the 31-point three-quarter time lead to win by just seven. Round 17, the loss to Melbourne was marred by controversy, but we might talk about that when we get to the Demons. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, they finished the season against Fitzroy, which meant they got a win by 53. <laughs> um, Roger Dean, the leading goal kicker in that game with three goals. Um, at the season's end, their coach... Des Rowe. Des Rowe stepped down. Yes. Yep. After three years at the helm. Yep. So who was their best and fairest in 63, do you think? Barrett? No. It was Captain Neville Crowe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, leading goal kicker? Was, it'd be pretty hard to pick for the for these guys. <laughs> he only hit 25 goals. It's Ian Hayden. Oh, of course. Okay. We did mention go. him. Yeah. Good. All right. 
and gets this down to foot of scray. <laughs> In ninth place, uh, seven wins, 11 losses, and a percentage of 87.8. The Mighty Doggies. Not so mighty, unfortunately, no. <laughs> in this year. So, this year, uh, of course, I mean, it's not a captain coach by Mr. Football, Ted Whitten again. Uh, yeah. For what now, what? the since 58, wasn't it? Yeah. What more do you have to say? He took, no, he took over, or he started taking over in 57. So, yeah. So, some debutants are Cole Bendel and David Darcy, Luke Darcy's father. Ah, yes. We heard a little bit about Sam Darcy as well on the, uh, the yes. socials today. Who should go to go number one supposedly next year? Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So the doggies will end up getting two number one picks as you know one as father you know, son. Well, they got Hugo Hagen last year because he was an academy. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So father son by using yeah, yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> um, so new president Jim Miller wanted the club to go out and buy a big name player, and he tried to get John Northey and Neil Boose, but the club couldn't afford them, and they went to Richmond. <laughs> So um, these marquee players are already going well, in 63. Well, not mar- yeah, marquee players, all big big country names. So I think John Nolley had been big in the Ballarat League. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Uh, Doggies' first win was round two. Although they trail at three-quarter time, they the Doggies' fortunes changed when Ted Whitten inspired them to play its first real footy of the season. The flick pass was used to their advantage and the Doggies' defence, led by newcomer David Darcy, stood tall. Oh, foot's great in the flick passes always. <laughs> Uh, round four in a game against Richmond, which both sides produced a brilliant mixture of teamwork and wildly undisciplined play. <laughs> <laughs> the Doggies, after being five goals down at quarter time, fought back with great determination to win by 19. Darcy was again the standout with three goals. So Love it. Defence and forward. Round eight, they slipped and slithered to victory against the Swans by 13 points in an uninspiring 13-point win. Uh, I realise I said 13 points twice then. <laughs> it was by 13 points. Yeah, yeah. In round 10, first season player Rod Coots kicked six goals and helped the club to get a four-point win over St Kilda in a lakeside challenge. But this would be Coots' last game for the season as his original club, Caniver, denied his clearance and he had to head home. Oh, oh that's brutal. Yeah. Final game for the season against the Blues at Princess Park was also Ted Witten's 200th game. However, the club couldn't get up for him and although they led by five points at the final change, the Blues kicked eight goals to two in the final quarter to win. We can kick two in his 200th. It's cool the country teams have so much power. Yeah, I know. Well, so many players go to coach there as well because there's more money. More there's money in no that, yeah. Uh, so let's say Ted Witten, best and fairest. No, no, it was Ray Walker. Okay. Yeah, and lead goal kicker was shared. Merv Hobbs and uh, Bissett both kicked 16 each. Okay. So it's obviously very much shared around yeah. at Footscray this year. <clears throat> okay, Collingwood in eighth place. Uh, seven wins, eleven losses, and percentage of ninety-five point seven percent. So same same wins and losses as Footscray there for Collingwood. Yeah. Uh, so this year, uh, coached by Fonz Kine and captained again by Murray Wiedemann. So Fonz Kine in his uh, yeah, mm. Did I say it? Yeah, in his last year of coaching. Yeah, we'll talk about Ooh. why in a second. Mm. Uh, some debutantes were Bob Urquhart and Ernie Hug. Oh, um, so we failed to mention that in 62, at the end of 62, Sid Coventry announced his intention to step down as president, uh, with Jack Gelboli expected to take over. But out of the woodwork came Tom Sharon and Dick Harris, who also wanted to be president. Ah. Um, Tom Sharon of the Sharon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Wow. And uh, Dick Harris was a former player. Uh, however, in March of 63, Jack Goldbally won a secret ballot, uh, but then Tom Sharon decided to challenge. 
And what ensued was a bitter uh, election, a bitter campaign to become president um, with both sides kind of fighting and factioning. Mud fighting, mud slinging against each other. On the eve of the election, the coaches threw their support behind Galboli. And Tom Sharon used this to his advantage and said, went and said to the players, you know, your coach is saying this about you guys. Um, throw your support behind me. So the players put their support behind Tom Sharon. Um, and Sharon was able to manipulate events very cleverly so that Galboli was kind of un- undermined. undermined. Yeah, very much undermined. Um, so Sharon won in the end, but this showed a clear club divide. Yeah. Um, obviously between players and coach as well. So Fonz Kind declared he would quit at the end of the season. Because of all this? Yeah. Oh, because he'd backed the losing horse. Yeah. Yeah. And the players and the coach are on a different page and you know whenever a club's like that, you can't have any harm. What a huge... Um, and also, like, you think about the consistency of having Sid Coventry around, like... Yeah, those links back to those the links. Yeah, exactly, of having all that and then for it all to fall apart in such a visible way as well. Well, they, they're also the ones that came to power in 1949-1950 yep. after the whole bungling of Jock McHale's handover. Yes, yeah, yeah. Collingwood are good at this. They're good at, yeah, lots of stability for a long time. And then when they change, they just, as, we're, as we're seeing at the moment, yeah, really blow it's a big it up. Change, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't want to mention it. It's very similar. No, it is. Absolutely, it is. But there's probably sensed, in some ways, there's sense to that of like not trying to continue something that's no longer working and maintain a stability that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Better to blow it all up at once and start it, start from scratch than. Mm. Yeah, so we'll see. To see what happens with this year's uh, presidential election. Yeah. Yes. Well. That's, yeah, as you said, okay, that's very similar. Mm. Um, but having said all that, round one was a, a win. Against? Um, against Richmond at Punt Road Oval. Okay. Tigers led by as much as 28 points at quarter time uh, in the first quarter, but six goals to none. Second quarter brought them back into the game. 10 points after half time saw them run out 44. Uh, 10 goals after halftime saw them run out 44 point winners but Chapman with 4 goals I should say this whole election thing was kind of happening throughout the season as well it wasn't all pre-season oh yeah okay well that's not ideal <laughs> no no. they then slumped to a 3 to a loss to North Melbourne before the players were booed by their own fans prior to losing to Hawthorne that always, that's always yeah. good that's always what you want the Saints then beat them in round 4 leaving them without a home win in the opening month and the Pies sat 1-3 and three and in desperate need of a way to reinvigorate their season but they did this in commanding fashion, becoming the first team in almost a decade to score 100 points against Melbourne. Yeah. They dominated all over the ground. The dangerous Ron Barassi was cut out of the game by John Knox and Terry Waters kicked seven. Uh, the Pies won by eight goals. Much of that drive came from the Ruck division. Uh, and it was a you know, 15-10-100 to 7-10-52 victory. They kicked off a good sequence of wins here where they won five out of the next six, starting with strong win over the Lions. In round eight, appalling conditions greeted the Pies and the Blues as they ran out to Princes Park. The Blues seemed to be stuck in the mud for the duration of the match, and the Pies were too fast and surprisingly won in the ruck, with John Nichols unable to exert a great influence. Uh, Twelve minutes into the final term, the Blues had reduced the lead to just two points, and Carlton repeatedly attacked and attacked. The mud-splattered players of both sides threw themselves into the contest, but the Collingwood defence stood firm. The Blues didn't score in the first quarter, and, their, and the Pies didn't score in the last but Collingwood held on to a nail-biting finish to win by two points. The Pies then controlled the next game against Footscray. David Norman kicked four. They had a 51-point win over South Melbourne. The Pies were only out of the four by percentage and finally seen the real reality in this crazy season. Wow. But they had only win one of their final eight games. Uh, that yeah. was, and that was against Fitzroy in round 17. All set in. Round 18 was Fond Kind's last game in charge and Wiedemann's last as captain. 
Wiedemann got up pre-match and said, this is my last match at the MCG. Let's make it a memorable one. Uh, and guess who they were playing? Melbourne. Melbourne. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Weed ran amok. He wanted to settle some scores, especially Bluey Adams, who uh, for ending Des Healy's career. Oh, yes. Uh, he broke Adams' cheekbone. Concussed David Norman. David Norman. Knocked, not Alistair Lynch. Knocked out John Knox and also targeted Rat Ray, Hassaman and Anderson. <laughs> Got the everybody. Pi- the Pies lost by 35, but Norm was outraged. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, the Pies. So Wiedemann went as well then. Yeah, so captain and coach are gone. Can we? Can I just say? So that's that's the end of Fonz Kine there. Yeah, that is two coaches for forty-one years of football at Collingwood. Ridiculous! Isn't that incredible? The opposite of now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nineteen twelve to nineteen sixty. Sorry, fifty-one years. Nineteen twelve to nineteen sixty-three. Two coaches in fifty-one years. <laughs> that is unbelievable. So. Best and fairest of the 1963 Collingwood side. Hold on, just before you get to that, oh, yeah. I should say that last match was round 16. Oh, okay. So I don't know why I said it was 18. It was round 16 was the Collingwood-Melbourne game uh, at the MCG. Their last game was round 18 against Essendon at Windy Hill. Okay. Sorry. That's all right. So who was best and fairest for Collingwood this year? Oh, couldn't be Wiedemann. He's not, no. he's not fairest. Um, let's say... Gal Bowley. No, he's a, he's a president. He was, Terry he, Waters. No, Des Tuddenham. Oh, Des. Uh, and the league goal kicker was Terry Waters with 50. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty, pretty decent return. Yeah. Well, of the numbers we've heard so far mm. as well. All right. Moving up the ladder, Kazman. Yeah, North Melbourne, um, it seems, with eight wins, ten losses, and 85.1%. Very low percentage. That's very low. Let's find out why. So North Melbourne um, debutants I'll get to before Charlie gets to the captain coach. We've got Peter Agrams, Bob Good, Tom Allison and Maury Wood. There we go. And a coach this year by Alan Killigrew and captain by Alan Aylett for the third year. Yeah, so Alan Killigrew uh, lured back from South Australia, obviously coached the Saints for a few years. Yeah, taking over from Wally Carter. Yeah, yeah. and so um, Killigrew saw North Melbourne have their best year since 1959. They won their first three games. Uh, round one was a big win over Footscray. Their six-goal second quarter proving the difference. Doug Dale and Viv Peterson with two each. Round two, they went to Victoria Park. Uh, and they started by holding the Pies goalless in the first quarter. And, and again in the third. While the Roos went about their way, John Dugdale was the star on the forward line with six goals. Then they had strong wins over Tigers at Punt Road. Uh, again, the Roos defence was their strong suit. The Roos just played stronger football and earned their first string of three wins since 1959. And then this was followed by a four-game losing streak. Mm. Mm. <laughs> in round eight, it was Alan Aylett's 200th game, and the Roos got back on the winner's list with a win over Fitzroy in the slog of a game. Played in a sea of mud where no team kicked a goal in the opening quarter, and the Lions only kicked two for the day. North kicked six, but that was enough. Sounds like a terrible one to watch. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, round 11, they took care of Carlton, visiting Arden Street, who couldn't match the Roos' ruck division. The usual dominant John Nichols not playing well in the ruck, and this seems to be a bit of a theme. Yeah. John Nichols gets slowed down by mud. Okay. Mm. Um, Need to put some winter tyres on him. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aylett and O'Donnell had the ball their own way and made the Blues pay. North won by 23 points. In round 13, they again beat Collingwood. The first time since 58, the Pies had beaten them twice in the season. 
The Pies led by just under two goals at three-quarter time. Noel Teasdale was a star here, pulling down mark after mark in the third and kept the Roos in the game. Then for 21 minutes in the last quarter, the Roos had it in their attack but couldn't score a major. Only five straight behinds. But then they kicked three goals in quick succession and took the game by 13 points. They had a 10-point win over Richmond the following week and then they had their final win in round 16, beating South by 45. John Jenkins kicking five. Mm. So, mm. so there the we go. Can be a good leveler, but also I don't I don't subscribe to that. It's just it's just annoying. Oh, yeah, it must it. be so hard for fans to watch these games as well. I know in yeah. mu- in proper mud pits, like we don't have to deal with that anymore. No, it just stays like you in the watch back you watch the sort of skill a lot more drop marks, but you're no. not dealing with the mud no, that they no, were. No, so who was uh, best and fairest for North this year? Do you reckon? Aylett. It wasn't Aylett. I reckon that would have been a good guess. No, it was Teasdale. Okay, Teasdale. And who was the lead goal kicker? Surely Dugdale. Yeah, Dugdale <laughs> with 30. I think that's the uh, 25th time. He's, no, he's, he's won a few in a row now, so he's doing well. Uh, all right. We just brought his team up. Uh, Doug Nicholson's um, Carlton with 10 wins, 8 losses, and percentage of a whopping 103.3%. Yes. <laughs> whopping, the, yeah. The top six compared to the bottom six, the percentage is huge. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, yeah. There was a real... It's a tale of two halves, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, so, this year coached again by Ken Hands and captained by John Nichols. Yes. Uh, one debutant was Doug Ringo, Ringholt. Sorry, Reinholt. Nice German name. Reinholt. Uh, round one, a dominant second quarter where the Blues outscored the Lions by 40 points, set up a winning match lead, a match-winning lead. Turkey Tom kicking five. Turkey Tom. Turkey Tom Carroll. Round two on a wet Saturday afternoon at Princess Park. Carlton trades, trailed St Kilda by 10 points at the last change, but inspired by their captain, John Nichols, the Blue Boys kept the Saints to just three points in the last quarter and won by two. Turkey Tom was gobbling up the goals. <laughs> Round four, Carlton was 10 points in front of Essendon at three-quarter time in a match of the day and only survived the Bombers' late surge because they couldn't kick straight in the last quarter, kicking three goals five. Blues, unfortunately, winning that one. Round five was John Nichols' 100th game, and the Blues were scared by the Tigers uh, in what was a close game, but they got up by two points. Yeah. Thriller. Uh, the Cats knocked them off in round six in a showdown, the first showdown between uh, John Nichols and Polly Farmer. Oh, okay. Was, uh, Brilliant. Yeah, well, it's technically not the first because they'd played against each other in state games. Yeah. Uh, but the first in the league. Oh. Round seven was another close game. The Blues didn't even score a goal in the first quarter, but kicked away in the second half with six goals to three. <laughs> round, f- round eight in the Blues' two-point loss to the Pies at Victoria Park. Umpire Brophy was hit by a bottle during the second quarter, struck between the shoulders by half a full beer bottle. He almost collapsed and the play stopped as players, police and officials gathered to check on him. Uh, The issue was front page of the age with police asking for witnesses. I don't think anyone was ever caught. Funny, funny that. Mm. No one saw anything. (laughs) (laughs) Round nine was another loss, but interesting to note that all their losses thus far had been by a goal or less. Yeah, okay. Uh, But they'd lose their next two by big margins, putting their finals hopes in tatters. Tim, the audience can't hear this, but you're smiling, right? No, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, round 12, the game against Fitzroy got off to a fast start and promised to be a good game. Fitzroy were quickly out of the blocks and had the Blues troubled with their pace. But Carlton then swung into gear and became the aggressor. The Blues with superior teamwork and strength had them on top and held a two-goal lead at quarter time. This was increased to 22 at the main break, and then they added 6-5 to 2-1 in the third to hold a match-winning 50-point lead. We haven't had any Carl supporters as guests on the podcast. No. Is okay. there a reason? <laughs> <laughs> Do we know any? No. no. 
Round 14, Serge Silvani kicked six as the Blues smashed the Swans, who were never really in the hunt. Um, and, you know, Serge going forward like his, we know his son. Yes. Uh, Stephen Silvani was good at doing as well. Um, they beat the Bombers by one goal again in round 15, but then lost their next two games. Round 18 was Silvani's 100th game, and the Blues ended the season on a high. And although the Blues were in trouble at three-quarter time in the home match against the Doggies, they kicked eight goals one to two goals to run out winners by 32 points. Good way to end the season. Um, and here's some, some two little fun facts as well. Yeah. Carlton didn't play a game at the MCG in 63. And really? Late, really, yeah. And late in 63, a dele- a secret delegation met with Ron Barassi just to sound him out about, you know, would you be interested in changing clubs and coaching? Ah, and well, we know the answer is and yes, we'll, uh, obviously. We'll, this, will kind of, this was all happening in the background. And there's more, but he was definitely interested in coaching at this stage. Like they yeah. knew it, so yeah. And there's more to play out. They're hanging a carrot mm. for yeah. sure. Good as a game. Yeah. So best and fairest for the Blueies. Serge Silvani. No. Doug. John Nichols. Uh, that's what I meant, John. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and uh, lead goal kicker. Turkey Tom. Turkey Tom gobbled up 27 this year. <laughs> Only 27. Yeah, That's not much. not too many for the big man. Just mm. takes us to fifth spot. The first the first losers, as I like to call them, Tim. Who I mean, Kaz, Who were the first losers? <laughs> Essendon <laughs> with 13 wins, five losses, uh, 137.5%. A, a better percentage than the top two as well. Really? That's uh, massive. I mean, only two, only two points behind top spot. Only two points, percentage points, you mean? And no game points. Oh yeah. No, so we were we were equal. You missed, third you and missed just... out on. Oh, God, that must be frustrating. Mm. <laughs> so the top five is incredibly close. Yeah. And obviously the bombers being the defending champs as well. We won yes. in '62. Yeah, of course. So ju- yeah, that's hard. Just missing out. Really uh, so coached again by Johnny Coleman and captained by Jack Clark again. A lot of consistency. Indeed. Down at the same olds. Indeed, just yeah. like yeah. Down at the yeah. finals, we didn't make finals. <laughs> we didn't make finals. I say you bombed out. We won it the year oh, before, though. Yeah. Um, round one, the Bombers were able to get a hard-fought 25-point win over the Hawks at Glen Ferry Oval, kicking their premiership defence off in style. And they made it two from two with a very impressive defeat of Geelong at Windy Hill. 59 points, Ken Timms with four goals. Then it was another thriller with the Demons. Earlier in this match, the Ds were unable to match Essendon's pace and teamwork. Uh, the gap was 13 by the half as rain began to fall, cluttering the play taking away the Bombers' speed advantage. The Bombers did threaten to kick away during the third term, but Townsend and Adams for the Ds kicked goals that reduced the margin to 11, and a late Barassi goal dragged the margin to less than a goal. A Ray Groom and Ray Groom followed this, and Ray Groom followed his lead to put the Demons a point in front with 16 minutes to play. Essendon had been the better side and fought back to kick two goals in a row, and a late goal to Ray Nilsson was as close as the Demons got. <sighs> John Burt... <laughs> kicked four in a win over the Lions and then in round six Charlie Payne kicked seven goals three in a 40 point win over the Doggies um, round seven at Victoria Park against the Magpies Don McKenzie got into a fight with Murray Wiedemann and the push and shove when the umpire came in to break it up McKenzie was reported for striking the boundary umpire accidentally hit the wrong bloke yeah which was the first man ever reported for such a thing yeah. oh. Bombers won by 16 and McKenzie was cleared because the umpire had jumped into the fray to pull people apart that's uh, what they say to umpires, stay out of it, just let them have it and just yeah. keep talking to them. Yep, so, just tell them so he was dismissed. Yeah, because, you know, how do they... Yeah. Yeah. It, says, it says here the tribunal took only four minutes to dismiss the charge as uh, well. So, yeah. 
clear it decision. It was also umpire Frank Schwab's last game. After getting smashed in the face. No, no it was the umpire. No, no, I know. Yeah. Uh, round eight was a seven-goal second term, helping the Bombers to beat the Tigers. Hugh Mitchell best on ground, but also broke his fibula and would miss the next nine weeks. Round 13 was Jack Clark's 300th game. Uh, and this was also a loss to Geelong, unfortunately, for Jack Clark. Uh, round 18, the Bombers formed a guard of honour for Murray Wiedemann in his last game. Ah. Oh. And this is a very... The end of this game is really interesting, actually, because they were competing with St Kilda to try and get the percentage to get into finals. Oh, yes, okay. So it was going to kind of rely on these two games. Yeah, and going into round 18, Essendon was on top. We had the superior percentage. Yeah. So obviously we'll have to find out what happened. Uh, so Essendon was 13 points ahead of Collingwood at three-quarter time. And in terms of the live ladder at that moment, Essendon's percentage... Was 136.8, St Kilda's 134.8. So two percentage points ahead. Um, if they win, if, the, if you know, percentage remains the same, then the Bombers are in the finals. Yeah. Um, but the Bombers only won that game, let's have a look, by 27 points. Yeah. Um, and St Kilda jumped over them. And we'll get to St Kilda's game in, yes. a, in a minute. Well, we're thinking realistically, last game of the season, it takes a fair swing to move the percentage a lot, yeah. doesn't it? So, yeah. so the Saints had a, the Saints were playing North Melbourne, and there was mutterings of sour grapes from the Bombers to the effect that North Melbourne's coach Alan Killigrew was the Saints. was an ex St Kilda player and told the Kangaroos to lie down in the final. Oh, um, even even uh, Coleman bailed up umpire Gordian for lack of free kicks to players who went to get the ball because. Um, Coleman hates umpires. He said to us, said, you little white maggot, how the hell did you learn to umpire? <laughs> Imagine um, trying to do that today. Yeah. Oh. Um, no team in league history has missed the finals having won 13 games. I mean, in 1957, none of the teams, even in the four, won 13 games. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was talk of talk in November of this year of expanding the finals to a final five. Well, That's interesting. I mean, still... you deserve to win it. Yeah. Realistically, still... It's you're still pretty stiff to miss the finals on 13 games, aren't you? Making these days, these days. Yeah, making the eight. Yeah, you're right. Yep. 13, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've got more teams in there, but more rounds. So yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's the number. You think 12, 13 is usually the number, isn't it? So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Who who do you reckon was the best and fairest? 63. Oh, look, if, if I just want to say Gadini, a good. Well, he doesn't play. Oh, okay. um, let's say Bluey Shelton. No, Ken Fraser. And the lead goal kicker was... Charlie Payne. Charlie Payne with 36. Well done. Uh, Now, Kaz, you haven't been with us for a while, so we've started doing the night series in this spot here. Before the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was always contested between the uh, the teams that didn't make finals. It feels as though it's the time to talk about it, right? Yes. So the 1963 VFL night premiership again played at Lakeside Oval. Uh, again, only involving the losers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Melbourne aren't playing in it again, Kaz. But Essendon are. So yeah, there we go. Uh, Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm enjoying it for as long as I possibly can. Exactly. Um, so again, they've got sort of the um, the younger uh, clubs and other clubs around playing in the curtain raises. Clubs like Altona and Central Altona, Clayton, South Melbourne, YCW, Spotswood, Springvale, West Newport, and Williamstown. Um, Williamstown, sorry, CYMS, not the not really who's in the <laughs> VFA. Uh, so, starting off in our first round, we've got Collingwood versus South Melbourne. Um, 
All these games are Lake Oval under lights, as we know, all starting Tuesdays and Fridays at 8 pm. Again, if only this still happened. Like, imagine just a Tuesday or a Friday night. In September know. as well. Yeah, just a great time. So, Collingwood versus South Melbourne. Uh, Collingwood came out ahead and just kept that going the whole way through, winning 14 13 97 to 9 11 65. Then we had Richmond Essendon. Again, Richmond uh, came out of the gate strong. Essendon could only kick four points in the first quarter, and uh, that was the way the entire game went, Come, going down 6 11, 47 to 7 13, 55. So it clawed it back, yeah. but uh, couldn't quite get there. Oh, the next game was Carlton Fitzroy. Um, Fitzroy had the lead from the beginning, kicking four goals in the first to Carlton's zero. Uh, but then Carlton just started pulling back and kicked seven goals in the last quarter to manage to win 10-15-75 to 6-8-44. Fitzroy non-scoring in that last quarter. It really came out strong. And then uh, Footscray put the boots into North Melbourne from the very beginning. Even though it was tight, they they were ahead the whole game, winning 8-11-59 to 7-11-53. So our semi-finals then were Collingwood, Richmond and Carlton Footscray. Uh, Richmond got out ahead early of Collingwood and just stayed that way, winning 11-6-72 to 6-10-46. And Footscray did the same thing to Carlton, uh, kicking five goals in the first quarter to Carlton's one and winning 11-7-73 to 4 6 30 that's awesome. Yeah, pretty pathetic there. <laughs> so, uh, moving to the grand final, uh, it was supposed to be on the 30th of September, but had to move due to torrential rain, as usual. <laughs> um, so, Richmond versus Footscray, and Richmond came out swinging, uh, kicking a few uh, extra points in that first quarter, getting up 2-4 to just two, the two straight goals. Stayed ahead by those four points into the main break, uh, and... Uh, then Richmond, yeah, st- stayed ahead by a little bit, coming in with ten points in the lead in the into the final break, and then Footscray kicked three to Richmond's one to come out winners ten nine sixty nine to nine nine sixty three. Good game there. So twenty in front of twenty five thousand two hundred seventy six people that final was. So we've got uh, the leading goal kicker of the series being Richmond's Peter Hogan with seven goals from the three matches uh, that he played. Uh, so there we go. Footscray winning their first yeah. night title and just their se- second senior flag of any any yeah. type. So there you go. It means something to, down at Footscray. <laughs> <laughs> Not to Essendon. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we didn't even bother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't want it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that gets us to St Kilda, Kaz. Yes, St in Kilda in fourth place. Love it. Uh, playing finals it, with 13 wins, 5 losses, and percentage of 140.1. Jeez. 3.4% difference yeah. there, Timothy. Close one. It's big, isn't it? Very close. So... Not not quite as bad as a half a percentage point. Out no, of the finals. no. But let's not talk about that, Kaz. <laughs> uh, so this year, coached by Alan Jeans again, captained by Daryl Baldock taking yes. over Surprise from Neil selection. Roberts. Yeah. Um, some huge inclusions into St Kilda's team this year as well. We've got Bob Murray, Carl Ditterich, yes. and Ian Stewart. So, Kaz, tell us a bit about 
Diderich and Stewart. So first of all, Diderich was one of the most feared ruckmen in league history. <laughs> was uh, a star from his first game moving from East Brighton. Uh, that was in an opening round match against Melbourne in 1963. Yes. Uh, Diderich easily uh, was best on ground and his ruck was a revelation. Um, good ruckman in this uh, era. Um, ironically, he had uh, been disappointed on Thursday night when he, it, we didn't hear his name called um, in the reserves team and he thought uh, he'd been left out altogether. On hearing that he'd been selected, um, uh, his, main, been selected his main thought uh, was that he could start building a deposit for a car. <laughs> um, Diderich uh, mixed brilliant marking and strong ruck play with raw aggression. And often was in trouble with the league tribunal. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, suspension cost him a place in the 1966 St. Kilda Premiership side. And they they give a bit of Diderich um, and Ian Stewart. Okay. Diderich goes to Melbourne as well. Can't stay away. Melbourne for life. From either of them, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ian Stewart, one of the game's greatest ever footballers. He joined the Saints without any fanfare and a shy Tasmanian even purchased his own training guernsey. (laughs) Rather than ask for one. Oh, um, really? <laughs> he was totally fearless. His style of marking while backing into the pack became a trademark. He suffered a bad knock in his first game, but was able to battle on. He soon moved from the wing to take over centre role um, from state man Lance Oswald. Other clubs became aware of his great talent and he was frequently a target. Um, the secret of his game was immaculate balance and perfection in foot passing, just like you, Tim. Um, good passing before uh, out in the, on the field there in, outside the farm uh, whether cornered uh, in a pack or clear of his opponent Stuart was always able to spot a teammate um, further afield and land a pass on his chest it's a little bit and there's plenty more about Ian Stuart but that's just a little bit great so St Kilda uh, round one, four players made their debut against the Demons. Bob Murray kicked four goals with his first four kicks. Yeah, unbelievable. And as you said, Diderich was best on ground. Um, so full of energy and enthusiasm, he was going as fast at the end of the game as he was at the start. And the Saints made the Demons look old and slow, winning by three goals. Uh, next week, they were trailing the Lions. Sorry, round three, they were trailing the Lions at three-quarter time and were able to kick away finally in the last term. Jim Wallace kicking five in the mud. Um, <clears throat> Bill Stevens was rushed back for the game against Collingwood, uh, Junction Oval. Junction Oval, yep. And the crowd went nuts as he kicked the first goal, uh, booting the ball all the way out of the stadium. Oh, love it. Um, <laughs> thought to have a slow start to the season because of a bung knee, he kicked seven as the Saints beat the Pies by four goals. Round six, um, it was clear that Ian Stewart was having a big impact for the Saints, teaming well with Borlock in the middle, and this helped them win the Lakeside pennant by 41 points, oh. beating, beating South by eight, eight points. Sorry. Yeah. Then they beat North by eight points. Uh, in the round eight, lost to Hawthorne. Borlock kicked what he thought was the winning goal. But he got the goalposts mixed up and did yes. it. Yes. And he, he kicked between oh, the point and the goal. Absolutely roosted home a point. Saints lost, <laughs> Saints lost by four. Yeah, isn't that a killer? Uh, round nine, debutant Daryl Griffith kicked a goal with his first kick. Then shortly afterwards was knocked out by Bluey Shelton. So this was against Essendon. Yes. Uh, the Saints won by 16 points. It was the Saints' first win at Windy Hill since 1936. Isn't that huge? Yeah, they're starting to tick off all these like hoodoos as well. Yeah, they're getting they're yeah, shedding some again. things off the back. Yeah, 
Uh, in the round 11 game against Richmond, Bulldog was said to have had a hand in all 14 goals kicked by the Saints. Russell Holmes, we talked about one effort where he was cornered by three opponents but had the presence of mind to soccer the ball forward to rover Dougie Rowland, who kicked the major Saints win by seven goals. Round 14, they had a huge win over Fitzroy by huge. 102 points. Wow. Their percentage going up 11%. Hello. Bulldog with four. The Saints defense holding the lines to two goals. Uh, it was a classic battle between Murray and Bulldog. Doc taking the better of the battle, but Murray was clearly the best for the Lions. We don't need to say how close the percentages were this season either, Tim. No, we've spoken about that. Round 15 was a famous day for the Saints at Victoria Park with Bulldog and Stewart firing. The Pies were restricted to just two scoring shots in the first half as the Saints won handsomely, 62 points. Bulldog kicked six and the Pies fans booed their own team as they left the field again. Again? Yeah, okay. Uh, then they humbled the Cats in front of almost 45,000 people at Junction Oval in a close encounter. The Saints kicking four goals to one in the final quarter to win by 21. They beat South by South again in round 17, another lakeside triumph. Oh, they're evening the score. <laughs> um, but they sat outside the four on percentage, getting to the final round. The St Kilda dust is still there. So here we, yeah, well, here we go. The Saints needed to beat the Roos in round 18 and beat them well. They started the match badly. North rattled on three goals four before the Saints even scored. So, can we just go back a little bit here? Yep. So, the the um, Essendon game was pl- being played at the same time. Same time, yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. So, end of round 17, Essendon had a percentage of 136.9. Yeah. Saints was 133.3. So, they needed to make 3. up 3. at 3%. least 3.3%. Yep. Uh, it didn't start well. They trailed. They North kicked the first three goals, four. Nothing was going right. St Kilda managed just one goal and trailed by 16 at the first change. It was a scrappy, low-quality match in the first half. Uh, the lethargic Saints also suffered a major setback when Ian Stewart injured his arm and uh, was flattened and left the ground on a stretcher. Okay, yeah. Uh, but St Kilda started to show more of a system and with North scoreless in the second quarter, the Saints edged ahead just before the interval. The game really opened up in the third quarter and Saints played more cohesively and North just struggled to get the ball in their forward half. Uh, they were playing far better football, but the three-quarter time lead of 27 points was not big enough to overtake No, Essendon's well, that's exactly Essendon's score. Winning margin, right? Correct. The Saints got word from that the Bombers were beating the Pies, so they stepped up to a higher gear and the goals started to come thick and fast. Mm. Uh, didn't, didn't hurt that North Melbourne had laid down, apparently. At this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so by the time um, Ross Smith boots their seventh for the quarter, they'd scored they'd soared to a 67-point lead. And at this point, Molly Meldrum jumped the fence as a teenager and ran to the centre of the Oval to tell the Saints players that they were ahead on percentage. You're um, kidding. And there's actual footage of this as well. They just go pretty recently. Was he wearing the hat? No. Uh, not, I don't think so. <laughs> and the Saints needed a couple more goals to overtake us, so they're coming close. Would have been wearing a nice shirt there. Uh, the Saints put the icing on the cake with two goals to Bob Morton in the dying moments. Uh, and the Saints finished with a percentage of 140.1, pipping Essendon's 137.5. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I love the little cameo by Molly Melvin. Yeah. <laughs> just in case we weren't sure he was diehards and killed up. Yeah. There it is, yeah. <laughs> That's too good. Mm. Oh, and that's what, they would have done well in the finals too, you'd imagine. Yeah, of course we would. Bat, reigning champs. Yeah. Oh. So, best and fairest for the Saints? Molly Meldrum. Ian Stewart. <laughs> Bulldog. Of course. Bulldog. And lead goal kicker? Stevenson. Bulldog. <laughs> 35. Right. Unbelievable. <laughs> Twinkling time. Had to be. Third place, Melbourne, with 13 wins, 5 losses. 
a whopping percentage of 147.9%. So same points, 52 points, and then the next two teams are 54. So very close at the time. There's no way they could have got us. No. You guys. No, no, no. Awesome, Kilda. No. So uh, coaching uh, Melbourne this year is the Red Fox, Norm Smith. Captain, Ron Barassi. Classic. Yeah. Here's some, uh, some debutantes are Ray Groom, Tony Thyssen, and Owen Zinko. Ray Groom. Oh, Here's some, uh, some players who have left, though, mm. as in that we retired or had roles elsewhere. Laurie Mithen, Clyde Laidlaw, Ian Thorogood, Jeff Tunbridge, Terry Gleeson, Jeff Case, Trevor Johnson, and Dennis Jones. So Ooh. quite a lot of experience leaving yeah. as well. In round one, Norm Smith uh, penned in his newspaper column uh, prophetically saying, we always find it difficult to win at St Kilda, and I'm sure this match will be no different. He was right. The Saints won by three goals. <laughs> uh, round two, though, the Demons were able to be the better side on Anzac Day, but it counted for little as they let the Hogs back into the game. In greasy conditions, they kicked two goals to open the third quarter, improving the margin to over 30 points. Only the Hawks' defence was stopping the game being over. And they held out long enough to give their side a chance in the last quarter. Coverdale kicked two for the Hawks to spark the match into life. And they started to attack in waves, but their kicking for goal was wayward. Peck kicked two to make the margin less than a goal. And the Hawks reserve Rod Olsen had the chance to snatch the game late when he took a mark within range, uh, but kicked a point. Demons holding on. Best for the Demons were Barassi, Lord and Adams. Round four, they beat the Lions by 39. And first season player Barry Burke kicked five. Round six against the Tigers, the Demons had the lead of just under four goals at halftime, but kicked away in the, with seven to one in the third quarter, and the match was over. Final margin was 79 points. Adams kicked four, Burke and Roweth with three each. In round eight against Geelong in slippery conditions, the G, Tassie Johnson, played a key role by nullifying Polly Farmer in the ruck. Hey. Following instructions to stay in front of his opponent all day, he won a string of free kicks. Smith's defenders were told to breathe down the necks of their opponents and the forwards to play wide but keep moving. The Cats kicked three goals in the first and didn't score in the second or third. D's by 47. Um, around this time, Ron Barassi was dumped or not selected for the state side as well. Oh, really? He was, a bit of a, he was in poor form. Um, bit of a slap, though. Yeah. Um, so around nine, taking on North. The heat was on from the first bounce where North's defence was under huge pressure. Uh, they were desperately trying to keep things tight, but were overwhelmed by weight of numbers. Barassi kicked the first and had three for the term, uh, obviously coming out angry. And the margin was out by more than 30 points before the Roos got a late consolation. This set up the win for the Demons. Barassi finished with six for the day, which would be his highest tally in a game ever. So he really got fired up. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, don't, don't poke the beast. No. <laughs> in round 11, they kept the Doggies to only three goals for the day, one in three quarters, their worst performance in 38 years. Uh, despite the awful conditions, Melbourne players Sean, Brassie Anderson and Rowett were the best. They then held the Saints to five goals the next week. The first half was a tough slog, but gradually the Ds began to pull away by holding the Saints to two points for the third quarter and extending the margin to 42 and then 59 by the end. So you can tell why the Ds have got a big percentage. Yeah, they're I, smashing they're, teams. They're smashing teams and keeping their scores low. Yeah. Uh, in the loss of the Hawks, Brassie kicked the ball in the wrong direction during the last quarter. Fun little fact. Round 14, a huge crowd came to see the match between the top two sides, uh, Essendon and Melbourne. The first quarter was one of the best seen at the G for some time, with the sides combining for 12 goals in a fast, free-flowing match. Oh. The Ds had a slight advantage at half-time and three-quarter time, but after keeping Essendon at arm's length for three quarters, uh, Melbourne swarmed them with lightning-fast handball in the final quarter, piling on six goals to one to run out comfortable winners. Keneally with four for the Demons. 
Uh, round 15 at Brunswick Street Oval was a massive win for the D's, uh, winning by 96 points and scoring the biggest win and highest score at Brunswick Street Oval. They kicked 11 goals in the third quarter alone. John Townsend, four. Herbie Matthews, three. Ron Barassi, two. Barry Burke, two. Kenny Emsell, two. The Demons continued um, this late-half domination from recent, recent weeks, scoring 10 goals in the final quarter against Collingwood to completely blanket them uh, and run out 61-point winners. Round 17 in Melbourne's last game at Punt Road before the Tigers became co-tenants at the MCG. Yes. Uh, they were challenged early but kicked away to win by 47 points. The big sensation in this was Ron Barassi being reported by a field umpire and boundary umpire for striking Richmond's Roger Dean in the final term. Hence yeah. the, the controversy we've spoken about. Um, the incident was shown on TV before the tribunal hearing and it appeared the Demon Star swinging right arm had not made contact with Dean and it appeared he'd avoided suspension. However, the tribunal refused to look at the footage as it was against VFL rules at that stage. To look at the footage? Yeah. As you do? Yeah, okay. and Brassi was found, he was found guilty and suspended for four matches. Ugh. Bizarrely as well, the, the Melbourne advocate was Mr. Gordian, father of the umpire who'd reported him. Uh, yeah. That's hardly impartial. Anyway, so that's a big blow. Brassi missing four games. No, no, we won't look at any evidence. That's no. against the rules. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes no sense. That's crazy. We've never looked at video evidence before. Why would we start? No, that? exactly. Because yeah. there wasn't video evidence before, maybe. That's why Probably we might not yeah. have looked at it. Yeah. Uh, round 18, Round eighteen. they still had to win to make sure of finals. And they were jumped early, playing against South Melbourne. Um, they were jumped early, but a second quarter comeback of six goals to none set the tone, and they ran out 35-point winners into their 10th final series in a row. Fantastic. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. And you're doing well, Tim. Not long to go. Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, so let's say... Best and Ferris. Best and Ferris. Brass? No. No, because he had a poor season. Yeah. Um, Tazza Johnson? No, Hassaman. Oh, Hassaman, leading goal kicker. Mm. You did mention him. But it was Tazza. Kenny Emsell? No, Barry Burke. Oh. With new, 48. New Newey, yeah. Oh, there you go. 48, so not bad. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. Scott. Geelong in third place, in second place, um, with 13 wins, four losses, and one draw. Um, percentage is 128.2. Correct. Um, so, big news in Geelong is they've got a theme song. Oh. Uh, past player John Watts was responsible for the club's theme song. He got together with some teammates during 63 to pen the words, um, and that includes a second verse, oh. which we're going to hear now. So stand up and fight, remember our tradition. Stand up and fight, it's always our ambition. Throughout the game to fight with all our might, because we're the mighty blue and white. And when the ball is bounced to the final bell, stand up and fight like hell. Fantastic. Yeah, love it. I like it, and they've actually, re- like, as you can hear, that's a proper recorded version of it. Yeah, and I think there was a time during the Matthew Scarlett era where they tried to bring that in, and they started seeing that a few times. Yeah, I don't think it caught, but on. it didn't catch yeah. on. So yeah. I should say, co- this year, coached by Bobby Davis and captained by Fred Wooler. Yes, taking over from from Johnny. So they've had since Bob Davis was captain in uh, last captain in '58. They haven't. Sorry, Bob Davis was captain again in 61, but they've changed captain every year of the past six, seven years. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Um, so some sad news to start the season. Uh, days before the season started, um, inaugural Brownland medalist Kaji Greaves passed away at the age of 59 oh. on the 15th of April. 
Um, but let's get into their season. So Doug Wade kicked five in round one as the Cats easily accounted for South Melbourne. Round two, though, against Essendon, they were taught a bit of a lesson. Uh, and playing without Billy Goggin, things were really bad. Doug Wade was knocked out in the first quarter and the Bombers won by 59. Mm. Uh, against North in a gloomy conditions because of fog that failed to lift the Cats won keeping the Roos to only three goals for the match after the game North coach uh, Alan Kilgrew said he'd never seen three halfbacks play so well referring to Lord Walker and Devine of Geelong no wonder they did so well round five Wade returned for the game against St Kilda and the Cats defence again solid holding the Saints to only one goal in the first half and three for the game Wade kicked five and Farmer was a marvel with his usual play on football generated by quick Long handballs opening up play and creating chances for teammates down the ground. Oh. Round six was the quintessential Nichols versus Farmer match we've spoken about a little bit already. Yes. Uh, the first time they'd rocked a match against each other in the VFL. The Cats got the win by one goal with both teams kicking poorly, uh, combining for 38 points. Uh, Farmer was said to have got the points over Nichols just. Mm-hmm. Round 11, Collingwood tried to bring the knuckle against the Cats at Cardinia Park. Four umpires made nine reports. Ouch. The Pies, Duncan, Wright, Duncan Wright flattened Stuart Lord and when Cats captain Fred Wooler went to remonstrate he was flattened too <laughs> and this is where he earned the nickname Fearless Fearless Fred yeah uh, Cats won by two goals Wright was reported for four on four charges and suspended for eight yeah massive the it it. round 12 Bill Ryan starred in, spectac- in spectacular fashion against the Swans with four big marks and four big goals to help set up a 35 point win Round 13, in the return match against Essendon, a packed Cardinia Park held a grand final-like atmosphere as the Cats tried to beat the Bombers for the first time since 1958. Doug Wade was shocking, kicked one goal seven. Mm. But the Cats dominated from the start of the day. Uh, Polly Farmer was his brilliant best. Goggin and Rice also were dominant. Um, Polly Farmer's dominating around the packs. His hand and foot passing went unerring to the destinations he wanted and he thrilled the big crowd with towering marks and his kicks... With the wind, covered long distances. Wade's been playing forward for a while now. Wade has, yeah, and that was Farmer I was talking about then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Round 17, Wade kicked four in, a, in an essential win over Carlton, and although Polly Farmer had his colours lowered by John Nichols this time, uh, he also suffered a sickening kick to the groin early in the game, Oof. which might account for that. Maybe, just maybe, yeah. yeah. And round 18, in a must-win final match of the season, the Cats travelled to Glen Ferry Oval. And the Cats kicked away late owing to the Hawks losing a few players. They had a few injuries. However, following the game, there were words between uh, John Kennedy and Bobby Davis with Davis calling the Hawks a bunch of thugs, which Kennedy took exception to. Ah. Which I think really must be the genesis of the rivalry between the Geelong Hawks. Hawthorne rivalry. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, ah. Also, there's a whole book that I've got here called 1963 Cats in Command, which is about their whole 1963 season. Oh, nice. Yeah. So two whole books dedicated to this season. Amazing. Now, there was a game that you didn't mention there, Timmy. Tell me. Round seven. Okay. The first Hawthorne-Geelong match. Because Geelong made the finals probably based on this. Do you know oh, what I'm talking about? Oh, this is a draw. Yeah, the draw. The draw. The first draw. So one of the one of Hawthorne's players, um, Yorin, um, was Uren. running... Yorin. Yorin, sorry. Yeah. Yorin. Yorin. Yeah. Yorin. No, yeah, Yorin. Yeah. Sorry. Um, it was he was running into goals late in the they were they were even sixty six apiece oh, yeah. at this stage running into an open goal had the ball miss sorry no they weren't even they were down by a point he missed the goal even the score <laughs> and then the siren went so if he kicked Ooh. truly then Geelong would have missed the finals because yeah. they're only in based on that two extra points if they if they hadn't drawn that game. 
you guys would have mm. come up into fourth. Everyone would have moved up because yeah. they had a lower percentage. There you go. An even season. Very even season. Um, so I'm guessing Doug Way would have won the goal kicking that season. Doug Way did win the goal kicking with and 48. Polly Farmer for the best and fairest. Polly Farmer yeah, won the best yeah. and fairest. Yeah. Yeah, good. good job. Sliding doors moment, that. Absolutely. Imagine. And there's a few of those in these seasons we're covering. Mm. And top of the ladder, John Kennedy's Hawthorne with 13 wins. One draw, four losses, percentage of 130. Point six. Massive. So as as Kaz just said, coached again by John Kennedy, captain by Graham Arthur again. Uh, the Hawks. Yes. What so a year. Some debutantes, Kevin Coverdale and Ross Grocott. Now Brendan Edwards was persuaded to return after retiring the year before, and he eased into the season on halfback flank due to having no preseason. He regained his form the moment he took the field though, taking up his old role old role in the centre. Now, round one, Reg Poole broke his wrist, which was bad news against Essendon and Glen Ferry. And the Hawks then lost to Melbourne in round two by four points, despite coming home, strongly kicking 4-7 to 1-3 in the last quarter. Round three was a six-goal win over Collingwood at Victoria Park and only the club's second in their history from 31 attempts. John Peck bagged five for the Hawks and Ian Law excelled, roving superbly and adding three goals of his own, as well as flattening the much larger Murray Wiedemann. <laughs> Hawthorne then accounted for South by 71 points, the Dogs by 19 and North by 22. The round six game against North was the club's 200th win. Then the Hawks travelled down to Geelong in the match you were just talking about, Charlie. Yeah. Without Graham Arthur, their captain, who missed the game with bruised ribs and came away with a draw after kicking two goals six in the last quarter. In round eight, luck finally went the Hawks' way in the St Kilda game. In the last quarter, Hawthorne failed to score while the Saints kicked zero goals six, um, also with that Daryl Baldock running into an open goal, oh, yes. missing, holding on for a four-point win. So there's a bit of luck there for the Hawks as well. If they'd, if, so if they'd lost that game, they would have been out of the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. In round 10, they had a win over the Richmond. Star centerman Brennan Edwards was in scintillating touch when he did his knee. The club surgeon took one look and told the devastating Edwards his career was over at the age of 27. The Hawks comfortably beat Fitzroy in round 11 to set up a top-of-the-table clash against Essendon in round 12 at Windy Hill. Sounds, sounds like there's a few top-of-the-table clashes, like because it changed a bit. Yeah. yeah. Which is good. In the Hawks' 700th league game, Essendon were too strong, kicking six goals to one in the last to run out 31-point winners. The Hawks won their next five to bolt up to the top of the ladder. The wins were over fourth-place Melbourne by 22 points, a seven-goal win over the Magpies, 10 goals over South, and a 44-point win over Footscray and a 41-point win over North Melbourne in round 17 match that would have dire consequences for the Hawks. Delicate Des Dixon was reported for striking and suspended for four matches ending his season, and full forward John Peck, who was leading the Coleman race, was suspended for two matches for all things abusing, abusive language. Yes, but that wasn't in a VFL game. Wasn't it? No, I believe it was in um, the, the, state the, game. the state game, the SA Victoria game. Interesting, because he did miss those as well. Maybe... Yeah. Oh, anyway. maybe that's a different thing. Maybe yeah. maybe he missed those because of one in, in that. I wonder whether it... Yeah. Mm, he would miss the critical round 18 match against Geelong and the first final also against Geelong. With one round to play, Hawthorne was on top, a game clear of Geelong, fighting for the last two spots in the four and all, and all sitting half a game behind Geelong were Melbourne, Essendon, St Kilda. In round 18, Geelong beat Hawthorne by 38 points and other three teams all won. So the top five at the end of the season were separated by half a game, as we said. Um... Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, which, yeah, gets us to finals. Um, so I know you're, you're 
Eager to learn who won the Coles goals, most goals for the season. <laughs> Always. Uh, the Demons, 240 goals. Yeah. That's right. Um, the, the Sporting Globe, I think it's Sporting Globe's Hayden Button medal went to Bobby Skilton. Yeah. And let's hear who won the Brownlow medal. The Brownlow down low with Moss. Bob Skilton won his second Brownlow this season. He also passed the career 100 votes mark, finishing with 20 votes. St Kilda's Graham Polly Farmer and Daryl Baldock both finished with 17 votes and Collingwood's John Henderson finished with 15. Although this was his second of three Brownlows, Bob said that his best year was actually the 1962 season when Alistair Lord won the Brownlow. Bob had a reputation for training extremely hard. Starting in 1957, he trained six days a week in the pre-season with Bill Mitchell and his foot runners. He said, To be honest, I couldn't run out of sight in a dark night. But it helped though, as you don't have to be able to run marathons to play footy. You just have to be able to stop, start. It gave me an advantage. You wouldn't have these days because everyone's fit now. Bob polled in 10 of his 17 matches this season and he won the award after playing 129 career games. He will win the next one in a few years' time. All right, so finals. <laughs> well, kind of. Night finals for some. I've been away for your episodes. Yeah. I think it's say it. Finals, and this first finals are Melbourne, St Kilda. Doozy. How strange. Yeah. yeah. You have, okay, so the MCG, Charlie. Yes. In front of 88,914 people. Um, it was a nervous start. The Demons got the first score of the game seven minutes in with a point. Keneally then hit the post from point-blank range, and while both teams had a chance, St Kilda took 12 minutes to score their first point. Jeez. Only one goal was kicked by either side in the first quarter through Barry Vag of Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne was on top from the start of the second quarter. John Lord was clobbered by a big hit from the Saints player, and though his teammates exacted swift revenge by putting a pair of opponents in the hands of trainers, Lord was effectively knocked out of the game. Yeah, okay, wow. Um, though the Demons kicked three goals to the Saints and won, the Saints spent the rest of the game trying to catch up and got as close as seven points when the siren went. D's by seven points. Uh, 9-17-71 to 8-16-64. Close. Lots of points. Lots of points. No brass. No brass, yeah. So the following week, it was Hawthorne-Geelong, their first final they'd ever played together. Having so the, thir- the third game they've played against each other this year. Yep, one second draw. in a row. Yeah, second in a row. Yep. Yeah, massive. Uh, so on the 21st of September, in front of 91,471 at the G... Um, it was the second time these teams had met in a matter of weeks. In the first quarter, saw the Cats kick three goals before the Hawks clawed their way back into the game to trail by nine points. Uh, the game went up a notch physically in the second quarter. This unsettled the Cats and the Hawks took the lead. But a five-goal burst rested the lead back for the Cats in the third. Fred Wooler kicked three as the Cats took control. And then the Cats held on, but the Hawks never went away. The final margin was 19 points. Best on ground for the Cats was Fred Wooler. Captain Fred. Uh, which means now Hawthorne will be taking on Melbourne in the preliminary final. The winner going through to the grand final to take on Geelong in front of 86,546. Um, the Demons entered the match missing Ron Barassi, Brian Dixon, who was a late withdrawal. Oh. Um, and John Lord injured his shoulder early in the game. Oh, well, no. Nah. So from then okay. on, the Hawks dominated yeah. the ruck. John Peck returned to the Hawks, kicked three goals of the Hawks, recovered from a slow start to beat the Ds by only nine points. That's a... Pretty good effort without probably three of the best players in our team. <laughs> and the Hawks are hot too. 
Ken Beck controlled the ruck all day and allowed Graham Arthur and John Fisher and Ian Law many opportunities to send the Hawks forward, where Peck, Mort and Olsen dominated. After taking the lead midway through the second quarter, the Hawks never let it go to make their second ever grand final. Good on them. Yeah. Uh, which gets us to the grand final. The grandest of finals. On the first Saturday in October, the fifth, uh, in front of 101,209 people. Um, now, just before we get into our chatting to the grand final captain from Geelong, and you might know the story, to put the Cats players in a mood for the game, Bob Davis brought in a piano accordionist slash television clown, Happy Hammond. <laughs> and he entertained them pre-game with some music, uh, and then he led them out the race and through the banner. That they weren't laughing with him. They were laughing at him. That does not seem like good pre-game sort of warm-up stuff. No. Um, but there is some funny... There's footage of that on the on the internet. Is oh, there? Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. God, you can find everything on the oh, internet yeah, these yeah, days. Really yeah, um, uh, so let's not discuss this. Let's talk to uh, Fred Wooler. Yes. And see what it was like playing, what, what, what this game was like. Yeah. Welcome, Fred. Tell us about your grand final day today. I was crook in the morning. I used to get, uh, I used to get nervous before every game, feel sick. At this time, I was vomiting. It was the fear of failure. And um, I was never a good enough player to say, I can go out there and beat my opponent every week. Uh, so you're worried about how you were going, you know, how your team is going. It was awkward. That day, that morning, God, it was awful. I couldn't even eat breakfast. Now, Fred, were you and the team nervous? What, did, what was the plan pre-game? We got on the bus in Geelong and went to Melbourne. Uh, the only thing was that we were playing cards uh, and took away a bit of the pressure. So it was a good thing. But when we got to the MCG, I started to feel sick again. I was spewing before I ran out uh, onto the ground. And we heard that Bobby Davis organised some interesting pre-game entertainment, visit, uh, pre-game entertainment and visitors for you. <laughs> yeah. We had Happy Hammond again uh, and his mate, the cat, to run out with us. So um, what, tell us, what was it like running down that race and onto the G? Would you believe it? You could feel the buzz of 100,000 people. That was good. When we lined up for the anthem, I was sick on the ground, dry heaving, uh, while, while it was playing. I'm sure it was the feel of fear of failure. Uh, some people can handle the event better than others. And what were your thoughts as the game began? Then there was the first bounce. Terrific! Uh, here's part of the game in which you could get involved in. Now, how did, you, how did you feel you boys started? My first touch was at half forward. Uh, I had a couple of drop kicks. The team was forced into some tactical moves throughout the game. Tell us about, the message, about what message came out and what Bobby Davis was saying. Wadey only kicked one goal in the grand final, so we changed the centre half forward and full forward a couple of times um, through the third and the last. There was no message. We just changed it. Now, there was a stage there in the third quarter when the game was in the balance. Now, tell us a bit about that. Hawthorne were leading, uh, but they'd had a couple of hard games and they really had to be in front of us at three-quarter time. Uh, But they weren't, and you boys started to get on top. Um, Polly was starting to dominate the game too, giving the drive. Uh, Then I kicked a goal at the end of the third quarter. Uh, They put us 10 points in front. Um, Then Ricey kicked one just before the quarter was over. 10 points in front. Uh, We had... 
we had come from being touch and go and then suddenly we had the break. The last quarter, you know, it was just... Well, we heard that Bobby Davis told you all at three-quarter time to show them what they are and that he didn't want to see them touch the ball at all. Can you really tell us, did he really tell you boys that you could do whatever you liked out there, just layer it up and bounce away from them? There were parts of that quarter, uh, you know, Westy kicking it out, Polly marking the ball and handballing to Billy, who then ran up and kicked it to Sharrock. Sharrock handballed to Billy and then kicked it over to Yates and Yates kicked it to me in the goal square. It was just boom, boom, boom. They never touched the ball. Once Polly got the mark, not a Hawthorne person got near. We kicked six goals and really put a stamp on it. So Polly Farmer was probably best on ground? Probably. Now, what stands out most in your mind about today? The most significant thing I can remember is getting presented with the cup, then turning around to the southern stand where all the Geelong supporters were holding out and to hear the roar. And can you tell us, um, will you be following your normal tradition and burying, burying a hawk effigy uh, card in your park as part of the celebrations? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Mabel, thank you for taking the time after a fantastic win to have a chat. Fred, enjoy the win. Thanks, guys. There you go. So the final score in that match, Kaz, maybe you can do the honours here. Sure. The final score, um, Hawthorne, um, eight goals, 12 points making it 60, and uh, Geelong, 15 goals, 19 points, 109. Yeah. So the Cats running away with six goals to none in that last quarter to really yeah. put that beyond doubt. Um, some more stats from that. Goals for Geelong were Hines with three, Wooler three, Goggin two, Alistair Lord two, Rice two, Yates two, and Wade only one. So a quiet game for Wade. Yeah. For the Hawks, Peck with three, Coverdale, Fisher, Law, Mort, and Woodley with one. Uh, best for Geelong were Polly Farmer, John Devine, and Scott Billy Goggin, Roy West, and Gordon Hines. Um, and as a final um, sad note, I guess, for the Hawks, John Kennedy was transferred by the education department to Stall. Yeah. And so he had to resign, sadly, as coach. Mm. Uh, his parting comment was, On the field, we can expect no concessions from our enemies, and in return, we shall grant them nothing. Graham Arthur would take over the captain coach role of the following season. Seems unbelievable that that could happen. Yeah. 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 Um, it is unbelievable. Do you think yeah. Ron, now discussion point for you, do you think Ron Verassi would have made a difference if he wasn't suspended? Uh, yes, I do. I do. I think it would have I mean because I think it would have made a massive difference because, you know, you you've not right, like he was the he was a you're not if they yeah. were winning it out of the middle. Yeah. Even if you're uh, negating half of those clearances, you're probably a lot closer to the game. I think missing uh, Barassi and Dixon is huge. You can't yeah. replace that. Yeah. So I don't know if Barass on his own would have made the difference, but those, having those two out is what killed us. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Um, so under-19s was won by Carlton, beating Essendon. Reserves, Geelong defeated St Kilda, and the McClellan Trophy was won by Geelong. Now, there's still two more games to go in this season. Post-season, the Demons were taking on the Cats in, a, in America in some exhibition games. Oh! Um, uh, the first game was played in Hawaii, and Geelong had advertised, you know, we're going to be the first team to ever be overseas and play games. And Norm Smith took exception to this. He's like, no, we're going to take this seriously. They're the Premiers. We want to prove that we can beat the Premiers. Yep. And we want to be the first team there. So they 
got to America first. <laughs> <laughs> they took an yeah. earlier flight. Yeah. I love um, it. And the first game was an absolute um, wreck. Oh, it was just off, on game. for one and all. There's no, like, umpires couldn't report or suspend. So, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, it was played in the Square Stadium with 15 players aside. Um, and it was a bit of a bloodbath. The, the umpires were given no power to report players. The match was, yeah, See, that's pretty ridiculous. vicious. Yeah. Uh, in the opening opening minutes, Ron Barassi flattened Polly Farmer. <laughs> and the, the crowd were helped to understand the rules by a live broadcast over the stadium's public address Explaining system. Called by Tony Charlton. Scores were level. What, I'd go just to listen to his voice yeah. for the whole game. Yeah. Scores were level into deep into the last quarter before Barry Burke and Bob Carroll kicked the goals that won the game, and the Demons were presented with a wooden Hawaiian-style trophy. So that make that changes my mind, and we definitely would have won the flag if Barras <laughs> was playing. Game two uh, was in San Francisco. So the umpires were asked to keep a better control in the game, but the match was still pretty brutal. Doug Wade had his eye split by Bernie Massey. Um, and the match was again played 15 aside. Geelong led 42 to 22 at halftime, and then outscored them 7-7 to 3-6 for the rest of the game. Uh, and 3DB provided direct call of the game back to Australia. Nice. And thus kicking off a wild appreciation in football in America. <laughs> <laughs> Spread like wildfire. <laughs> All right. So here's some retirees from 1963. John James of Carlton, 195 games, 31 goals, one Brownlow medal. Mm. Turkey, Turkey Tom, oh. after only 55 games and 143 goals, is going back to his Turkey farm. Murray Wiedemann, the wrestler, yes. 188, 180 the wrestler. games, 600, uh, 262 goals, two flags. Rod Vernon of Fitzroy, 119 games, 72 goals. Brendan Edwards, 109 games, 29 goals, one flag. Lance Oswald of St Kilda, 107 games, 104 goals. It's a pretty good return as a defender. Statement. Alan Roworth, 70 games, 90 goals, two flags. Brian McGowan of South Melbourne, 118 games, 171 goals. Tom Simpson of Richmond, 126 games, six goals. Bob Spargo, 80 games for Footscray, 43 goals. I think he's the grandfather of Charlie Spargo, who I think pretty sure... Yes, and I'm pretty sure um, Bob's, Bob's dad played for South, I think. So there's like there's four generations. Oh, wow. Uh, Bill Stevenson, 88 games for the Saints, 139 goals. Bob Nunn, umpire, 142 games, one final. Frank Schwab, 119 games, six finals, one grand final. And also in sad news, Roy Kazaley passed away in October of 1963, age 70. Yeah, wow. There you go. Yes. So let's wrap things up, shall we? Yes. So, Premier? Geelong. Geelong. Mighty Catters. Um, and the Brownlow medalist, I believe, was Bob Skilton of South Melbourne. <laughs> Charlie, lead goal kicker. John Peck with 69. Of Hawthorne, of course. Mm. Um, high score was the Demons, 22-21-153. Um, <laughs> Best name, Kaz. Here we go. Oh, uh, Laura, uh, Lazarus, easily. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you want to read some anyway? Bring the people in. That's all right. Owen Zinko. Yeah, he plays for Melbourne. Lazarus was a debut this year? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Gary, Gary Lazarus. Okay. Uh, even though it's a, a rugby name. Cool. All right, no contest. Uh, all right, premiership tallies <laughs> as of 1963. Mm-hmm. Collingwood 13, Essendon 11, Melbourne 11, Carlton 8, Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, Richmond 5, South Melbourne 3, Hawthorne 1, Footscray 1. And there we go. 63. That yep. was a ripping season. Mm. 
What's happening there? God, that was tight. It was yeah. Very tight. yeah. And 64 is the same. Yeah. And Good. the permutations of the ladder. I love yeah, yeah, yeah. All the different le- leaders and coming up against each other. And yeah, great times. Mm. Love to hear that. And the match in Hawaii. In, in yes. What a great excuse for a holiday. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out well. Well, there's 63. And thank you for joining us on the farm. Yes, absolutely. Coming from regional Victoria. Now, um, now guys, 64. Yeah, great time. I'm, I'm announcing my retirement. Enjoy it. Uh, enjoy it. <laughs> really enjoy it. Just soak it all in. Yeah, this, yeah. You know, it's hard to believe yeah. it's coming to an end. I know. No. <laughs> It's um, a long road after that, guys, I, man. I'm glad that I got to be in this podcast. I've been away for a couple of episodes. <laughs> I know. So I feel privileged, really. Well, it's good to be. It's, it's good to have you back. back. It's hard work uh, renovating a house. <laughs> <laughs> Almost there. Um, so, again, thank you for, for listening out there in, uh, in what, Radio Land? Is that yeah, what we call it? Land. Podcast Land? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, please, if uh, please, yeah, recommend us to friends who and review us. Give us a yeah, review. yeah. That's what I was going to say. Please give us a review, a rating. Do we have any review? It helps us to. I think it helps to. Yeah, just pretend you like us, because uh, it helps to spread the love around, and you know, we want more and more people around the world listening to this and getting into footy and turning it into an even bigger mm. game than it already is. <laughs> Let's play some more games in Hawaii, I say. Yes, and yeah. uh, invite us over there to explain it to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, until 64, hooroo. Hooroo. I've been everywhere. Cause I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear man. I've breathed the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my chair, man. I've been everywhere. Been a Talamore, Seymour, Lismore. Hello, welcome to Around the Grounds. Let's get the 63 season underway. Starting with the VFA. It was a very busy off-season with the Geelong West Football Club's application to join being successful, becoming the 19th team to join the association, entering into Division 2. They played out at Western Oval in North Geelong and are the first Geelong-based team in the association since 1927. To maximise the Geelong-based crowds, the VFA featured all their home games when the Geelong VFL side was playing away. The VFA board also decided to abandon the promotion relegation games, which was around for two years, which was the Division 2 runner-up playing the ninth placed Division 1 team. The former Footscray player and current Yarraville player, John Clegg, won the JJ Liston medal with 46 votes, ahead of his captain, Don Witten, this is the only time in VFA history where the winner and runner-up of the medal were from the same club. Their teammate Rob Evans won the leading goal kicker with 47 home and away goals. This year's grand finals were remade as a 62 granny, which saw ladder leaders Robin play Sandringham. In a very tight tussle, the... Um, oh, Moorabbin ended up running away with it, winning by 64 points and collecting their second and most recent flag at North Port Oval. In Division 2, Geelong West Dick Perry, uh, standing at 5'4", was the association's shortest player at the time, uh, uh, won the best and fairest with 45 votes. Morty Alex Frank Power won the Division Goal Kicking Award with 74 home and away goals. And in their second season, Waverley were minor premiers and were facing off Preston, with Preston winning their first of the division flag, winning by 35 points, and replacing 
North uh, Northcote, who are the Wooden Spooners in Division 1 in next year's comp. Still in Victoria in the VFA, the 63 competition saw the JN Woodrow medalist being won by Old Paradians Dennis F. Fulton. The leading goal kicker was Melbourne High School Old Boys C.C. Green with 60 goals. And the grand final was the Old Paradians beating Ormond by 16 points and going back-to-back collecting their second VFA flag. Across the border to the South Australia in the Sandful, the 63 season saw the McGarry medalist uh, won by West Torrens legend Lindsay Head collecting his third medal, previously winning it in 55 and 58 with 26 votes. Reigning leading goal kicker Paul Adelaide's Rex Johns won, the, won his fourth and final leading goal kicker award for the league, but sadly missed Paul Adelaide's grand final appearance against North Adelaide and retired. Paul Adelaide dominated the game and won by 33 points at Adelaide Oval, winning back-to-back flags with their 22nd in total. In the waffle, the 63 season was... Uh, we welcome back East Frio's Ray Sorrell at Around the Grounds, winning his second Sandful medal in three years with 20 votes. A famous name has come back and won the Bernie Naylor medal, medal uh, being former Essendon forward and first year West Perth forward Ron Evans with 97 goals. The grand final saw a tight game between fourth placed San, uh, Swan Districts and second placed. East Fremantle at Subiaco Oval. Swan Districts ran away with the, in the last quarter, winning by 22 points, and their midfielder, Ken Bagley, won the Simpson medal for best of field. Uh, across the straight into Tassie, the, 63rd, uh, see, sorry, the 63 season was uh, Hobart hosting Sandy Bay in this season's grand final, with Hobart winning their fifth grand final, at North Hobart Oval by 15 points. Finally, up in the top end, the Northern Territory Footy League, the 63-64 season, saw a replay of last year's grand final and similar result, with Darwin winning their 14th flag with a 23-point win over St. Mary's. Nightcliff Tigers legendary player Bernie Lou Fat picked up the medal, uh, being the Nichols medal for the season's best and fairest. Thank you. more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com you can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on twitter and instagram under at kicktokickpod thanks so much for listening